Okay, great. Uh, welcome uh, back to uh, Sunday School. Um, continuing the Apostles' Creed, we've got to the line, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. So just a reminder of the Apostles' Creed. I think most people, as I look around, have been here a number of times before. But it's easy to forget that the Apostles' Creed, the idea of it is a very, very, very uh, unifying creed, a unifying statement. So in all these, uh, everything we've said so far about the Father and the Son, you could probably find somewhere, as we sort of went into the doctrines in depth and in detail, some, some disagreements on, on various uh, minor matters. But the point of the creed is to unite everyone. Say, so, look, we all, believe this, uh, we all believe these things. This is the essence of the faith. Uh, we come to the end of the second paragraph now, the paragraph about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and it finishes, well, he will come, to, uh, come again to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus will return. That is an essential part of the Christian faith. Absolutely essential. He'll return. Um, in one sense, it's very obvious, isn't it? Well, I mean, if you've, if you've, been, from, you've been part of Christian culture sometime, uh, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. It's even part of... Um, it's even part of uh, common culture's belief often about uh, Christianity. So you very often have uh, in sort of secular films depicting nutty Christians with like sandwich boards saying the end is nigh. Just implying that, okay, even, even uh, unbelievers normally know that Christians believe that in some way, shape or form, Jesus is going to return again. But it's not universally the case. I suspect everyone in here believes that Jesus will return if you... Uh, didn't know that until now. That's a bit of a game changer. Uh, that's why you're here. But I, I remember when I was at, um, I was training to be a minister. I was doing it at a university. Uh, it was it was a it was a Bible college, but it was part of a wider university. There's a Christian union at that university, just an ordinary Christian union, like sort of Leeds CU or Leeds Beckett CU. And a girl became a Christian. And about three weeks later, she found out that Jesus was going to return. And she put it on Twitter. It's like, what? Jesus is going to return? And it's like hashtag evangelism fails, see you, or something like that, because they didn't actually tell her. Uh, now, the reality is that um, if Jesus isn't going to return, it starts to pull on lots of other threads about the Christian faith. But um, it's really important to know uh, that he does return, and sometimes we're clearer on this than others. But I just want to start just looking at a couple of texts that show us about Jesus' return. So in your small groups, just have a look at these two passages, Acts 1. Uh, 9 to 11. We looked a little bit of that um, last week about Jesus' ascension, but it talks of his return as well. Let's look at Acts 1, 9 to 11, and then also have a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. There were a few errors on my initial handout, and I'm hoping I've given you the right one. So it's Acts 1, 9 to 11, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. So just um, uh, read them in your small groups. In fact, I tell you what, because we will otherwise be sort of echoing over each other, I'll read them and then just have a, keep your finger in both of them and then just have a quick discussion about sorts of things that are said about Jesus' return in these passages. So let me start with uh, Acts 1. Uh, Acts 1, 9-11. Uh, and when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight... And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
Okay, so that's, that's the Acts 1 passage. Keep your finger in that. Go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Really significant passages on Jesus' return. Um, I think we'll look at both of them briefly this morning. But let me read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Uh, it's Apostle Paul. He's writing to, again, young believers, young Christian believers. And again, the implication, that they're actually really, really encouraging these believers. They've not been Christians long. They've been Christians in the context of persecution. And uh, some of their uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are starting to die. And they're thinking, oh, have they, have they missed out? Because Jesus hasn't returned yet. But they've died. So they're trying, to, they're trying to wrestle with that. They know Jesus should return. But some of their brothers and sisters have died. So how can, that, how can that both be the case? This is what Paul says. He informs about the return of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. But since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay, just have it. What are the noticeable things we see from those passages? What are the features of the Lord's return? Discuss, see maybe if you can just think of five things. Just look for five things. Five things about the Lord Jesus' return. Chat away, not in silence. Chat away. In fact, I can see people flagging now. I'm just going to uh, butt in. Uh, anyone just want to see anything that they saw? doesn't matter how obvious. What are things we see from these passages? Either one. Anyone wants to volunteer anything? Benny? Okay, he is coming. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, excellent. The fact of the matter is he is coming. Excellent. And what else? It, it just, it's just spoken with certainty that it's not a... Like he went up and hopefully he's going to come back, but he's coming. Yeah, good. Thank you. Excellent. In the same way? Yeah. Do you want to have a stab at what, what do they mean by that? No? Yeah. 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 I guess if you said, "Oh, he's driven to driven to Bradford," how's he going to come back in the same way? You'd probably mean the same route, wouldn't you? But uh, yeah, it is hard to work it out. Yeah. Ben, anything else? Or you might mean coming back by car. I went by car. Come back by car. Yeah. What she says. Erica, you've been thrown under the bus here. Any anyone? Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, listen, yeah, just, it's just good, isn't it, to refresh ourselves uh, with the pastors. Do you find after a time in your Christian life, you know so much about Christianity, but you often you don't know where you know it from. You're like, I know this is true, but where is it? I don't know how I know this stuff. It's just good to look at the pastors again, isn't it? So just a few things then. So yeah, so Acts 1, so he'll come back in the same way. I think that means 
um, so I think it means as we're talking, just he'll go up. He's, he's going to come down from heaven from the clouds. Again, we we see that from 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 other passages. He'll he'll come on the clouds. Um, I think also another significant thing it means is that he'll he went up as a man and he'll come down as a man as well. I think it's sort of very much we see in his second coming. He is coming back as a man, not not as God, um, but it, but I, very often we think after his death he sort of relinquished his humanity. I'm thinking, no, no, he retains his divine and human nature, the union of the two for eternity. Um, and I think as well, this is an implication when coming back. It means something, doesn't it? So the angel said, don't just stand there, do something. So Jesus' return has an implication. And, and in the context of uh, Acts, it means get on with mission, basically. We don't have enough time to see that now, but um, that's what's going on there. We need to make disciples until he returns. Thessalonians passage... Um, Interesting, he'll come back, he'll bring the dead with him. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, the living and the dead will be there uh, when he returns. So it's not, the Thessalonians were worried, hold on a second, if, if my grandfather has died, when Jesus returns, does that mean he'll miss out? And the point is, no, no, because the dead will rise uh, when he returns. Um, verse 16, there'll be cry or voice, trumpet. It'll be unmistakable, unmissable. Um, so often people refer has Jesus come back already clear answer no you will you will you will know when he's come back <laughs> there'll be no mistaking if you're not sure that means he's not come back yet um, and finally it's a source of encouragement again 1004 encourage each other with these words he is going to come back Jesus is going to come back and that's good news <clears throat> now a couple of early heresies that are going around that you pick up in the New Testament uh, firstly is people saying oh this, the resurrection has already taken place they didn't really believe in a in a sort of physical resurrection. It was more a, spis- a, a, a spiritual resurrection. So Jesus has already come, and therefore now is the time of blessing. And what it led to is a totally indulgent lifestyle. And they say, no, no, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wrong teaching. Jesus hasn't come yet back, uh, back yet. And therefore now is still a time of wrestling and struggling. We're still looking to the future. And it's great to be told Jesus hasn't come back yet, because it means something much better has come. If Jesus had come back and this was it, it's not, it's not great, is it? There's something great to come. And the second one was that people were saying, I, I am he. I am he. People were saying, I am the Messiah. Um, and the point of that is, people can't be the Messiah. No individual can claim to be the Messiah because if they were the Messiah, then everyone would recognise it. But again, in the past, it's happened. Some, some of those dangerous cults in the world have been people claiming to be the Lord Jesus Christ back for a second time. And they've been very, very abusive. So that's a few things. So, um, just brief introduction. Uh, let's have a think about when Jesus will return. When will he return? Well, we don't know everything. And a few verses there on your sheet. Um, let me read them out. Matthew 24, verse 42. Jesus says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So, when will Jesus return? The predominant idea in terms of knowledge is ignorance. We don't know. That is the main thing to know about Jesus' return, is that we don't know when it will come. It's really important to keep that in our mind. We don't know. The implication of that is we need to be ready, um, because you don't know. See the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5. So you've still got that open. Um, well, it just describes Jesus' return as like a thief uh, in the night. Some people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come. So he's saying we don't know when Jesus will return, um, and a feature of that is that there will be many people who ascend broadly to Christianity, the Christian worldview, 
and they won't be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point is, we don't know when, you do not know, and you will never know when Jesus is going to return, until he returns. And when he returns, you will be absolutely 100% sure that he has returned. There's complete ignorance about when he'll return, until he does return, and then everyone will be, know exactly what's happened. So we don't know everything about Jesus' return, but we do know something. As if to say that we're in a sort of a, a need-to-know need basis, Jesus has told us something about his return so we should always be ready for his return but at the same time the new testament says a number of times there are certain things will need to take place before jesus does return um pick out just a few of them so um first of the gospel must be preached to the whole world so matthew 24 verse 14 uh, let me read it out and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, it's not entirely clear um, what is meant by that. Uh, so, for example, if you look at the end of at the, the book of Acts, you've got the Apostle Paul, and the point is the gospel has finally reached Rome. It's symbolically the end of the world. So is that, has, that, has that happened now? Or does it mean that every single tribe uh, who's ever lived needs to heard the gospel before Jesus will return well that's probably not likely either because some tribes have literally died out they literally have died out before the Lord Jesus Christ um, or Jesus Christ hasn't returned and, and some tribes are no longer in existence anymore in fact they're no longer even in existence at the time of Jesus incarnation so tricky to understand but it's a good truth to hold on to the gospel must be preached to the whole world in other words Jesus is waiting um, he hasn't yet returned in the, in the interim the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, secondly, um, the conversion of all Israel. So again, Romans 11, 25 to 27. Uh, let me read that out. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So it seems to be saying... Uh, the people of Israel, obviously the time of Jesus, mostly rejected. He was mostly rejected by them. Uh, many believers, but mostly rejected. And the Apostle Paul seems to be saying there is a, there's, a, there's a partial hardening of heart. And now it's at the age of the Gentiles to come in. I guess most of us will be Gentiles. Most believers in the world will be Gentiles. Um, like way more Gentile believers than Jewish believers. The implication then is but then some uh, Jews uh, will, will come back. Sometimes people think this is going to be in a sort of a drip feed fashion. Some people think it's going to be more of a mass conversion of the Jewish people. Um, some people think, well, actually, it doesn't mean either of those things. All Israel. Israel is, is actually, an, sometimes used in the New Testament, for, and then the Galatians, for instance, as a description of just the church, the whole church, with a fulfillment of the Old Testament people. So, tricky to understand, but uh, the conversion of all Israel. In other words, Jesus is going to make sure all his people, and possibly a large, large number of Jews, to return. And thirdly, the great apostasy and tribulation. So Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Uh, apostasy means uh, people leaving the faith. Tribulation means a time of great suffering. So let me read Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Uh, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. That's the um, apostasy. And will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, so Jesus is very clear that before he returns, things will get really hard, and that many will leave the faith. That's quite, that's quite a um, sobering thing to hear, isn't it? Um, and then uh, the fourth one, the coming of the Antichrist. A couple of verses there. I'll just read out one of them. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And so being a Christian, um, this summarizes all these things together. Being a Christian in the last days, before Jesus, after his first return and um, before his second return, uh, being a Christian will be a global phenomenon. People from all nations will come to faith in Christ. But it will be very hard as well. It will be hard because there will be persecution. It will be hard because there will be evil forces uh, opposing God's people. Um, now here's a warning. A warning, okay? A warning. Um, reading the end times text is really hard. It is really, really hard. So all sorts of people have all sorts of different interpretations of the last text. And it's not so easy... As to, I sometimes, broadly speaking, probably shouldn't really speak like this, but just for sake of simplicity, oh yeah, the nutters all believe this, but the sensible people like us believe this. Okay, broadly, that, it's a real danger we turn into that. Something that, that we, we can often sort of think like that, and and some issues, I think you could say, yeah, that's probably not too bad a description of what's going on. But I think when it comes to end times, in particular, you have um, lots of people who love the Lord Jesus Christ who know the scriptures really well, who nonetheless have quite a different interpretation, not just what individual verses mean, but how should we be reading the New Testament prophecies in particular um, of the future. Now, I've just written down um, a number of uh, posh words because I wanted you to think I was clever. Um, Futurist, historicist, idealist, and uh, preterist. And broadly speaking, I, I just... We want to just flag that these different interpretations exist, okay? So very roughly, a, a, a futurist, and basically what it's saying is these prophecies about the end time, anything you see about what's happening in the future in the New Testament that's not about Jesus' return, they're going to happen just before Jesus returns. So when they happen, you know Jesus is about to return. So for example, um, you, you, the only way of sort of uh, illustrating this is by looking back where, how people were wrong, because obviously Jesus didn't return then, but for example, during the First World War, Second World Wars, global wars, people saying, aha, that's what Jesus warned about, he must be about to return. Okay? Now obviously they were wrong. That doesn't necessarily mean the uh, futurist interpretation of these texts is wrong. What it does mean is that they were wrong to identify uh, that, say, the First World War with that prophecy. Okay? So futurist, that's what some people think. Uh, secondly, historicist. So it's also saying things happening in the future... Uh, but less saying individual events happening just before Christ's return, more saying um, this is a description of ages of the church. So, for example, in Revelation, when you have um, uh, the beast and the Antichrist, in the the Reformation, so, uh, yeah, yeah, in the Reformation, these people are identified um, with, the beast was identified uh, as basically the Pope, um, and the Roman Catholic Church, more broadly, identified as the, uh, the false prophet. So if you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our church's doctrinal standard, it says in that that the Pope is the Antichrist. And so, and you're all looking very awkward. <laughs> now, I can tell you that, um, I, well, I don't know if it's 100% true, Brett, you can maybe, in fact, I'm not sure you'll know either, but 
most ministers who are ordained in, in fact, Peter, is Peter here? You might be able to tell me. My understanding is that most people who are ordained in the IPC, when they're asked about the Westminster Confession of Faith, would probably say, actually, I disagree with that. Is that right? Yeah, we're allowed exceptions. Yeah. And that would be the exception that I think everybody that I've heard of, apart from one, has got one. Yeah, OK. So most people say, actually, I don't think... I think this interpretation is wrong, this historicist. But the fact it's in the Westminster Confession of Faith shows that it does have a rich pedigree nonetheless. People have thought this in the past, not idiots, you know, not crazy people. And, identi- and the reason they thought that is because actually, uh, particularly during the time of the Reformation, they really thought, in fact you can see it in the, uh, the Reformation articles of the Roman Catholic Church, is that there is a strong um, uh, corruption of the gospel. It's no longer salvation by grace. So that's why people thought... Um, uh, that they identified this, this, this church to be a false prophet with a, with a false gospel. Let's move on. Idealist, people saying, and this is, this is, these last two are much more common in the sort of, uh, I guess, the circles we would move in, the people we'd know, the last two. Basically saying what is, these prophecies are not particularly identifying individuals or particular individual events. They're more saying what is generally true. So, for example, the Antichrist one is the easiest one one people saying this antichrist is, is prophesied in the new testament but he just all talks about an antichrist or sort of the antichrist but also many antichrists and so it's saying actually i think the antichrist is talk, there, there is a there is satan there are spiritual beings but actually they're just going to be basically going to be spiritual opposition to the church across all the ages it's generally what we're going to see sometimes greater sometimes lesser but it's generally what we're going to see. And they're really going to persecute Christians. So, for example, you might say, in, say, 20th century China, the Cultural Revolution, millions of Christians being killed. Or Cambodia in the 70s. Or you say, look how many Christians were massacred. And rather than saying, aha, I can identify this with Revelation chapter 14, verse 2, it's saying, no, what is being told about in Revelation, in persecution, is generally true, and this is an instance of it. This is an instance of persecution. And then finally, a preterist is basically saying these prophecies in the New Testament, many of them have already been fulfilled, and they were fulfilled during the times of the New Testament, uh, the writing testament. So in particular, you see uh, the people of Israel um, rebelling against the Roman nation, and then the Romans come in and kill hundreds of thousands of Jews, they go into the temple. And Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation. They're saying that was actually Romans setting up, you know, pig sacrifices in in the temple. And so what it's basically saying is many of these prophecies were fulfilled. They've already been fulfilled, and the function of them is firstly to show that Jesus' words are true, and it, it symbolises the fact that Israel really was ended as a nation. That uh, not obviously it's a nation today in a political sense, but it's. It's a spiritual significance as a nation is no longer um, uh, what we should be focusing on. But it also shows that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Therefore, he said, look, if that judgment's going to come, then another judgment's going to come. Now, these four aren't always mutually exclusive from each other. And most people be like, I think this is broadly true. And, but that's also a little bit true as well. But I just want to flag for you, because so, otherwise we think, well, hold on a second. Um, why isn't it much more simple? Why isn't there more unanimity on exactly how Jesus will return? Okay, uh, let's keep moving on. What will happen at the final judgment then? Do you just want to turn to Matthew 25, 31 to 36? Matthew 25. 
Uh, let me read this out. Matthew 25, 31, uh, 31 and 36. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Okay, just one picture of Jesus returning. It's not the only thing that we're told about Jesus returning. Again, slot. Was similar but different to 1 Thessalonians 4. So a few things about, so when is, we're moving from Jesus' return now to the final judgment. The first thing is, when is the final judgment going to happen? Well, the final judgment does not happen when people die. Okay, so people die, um, and there is, we're not really talking about sort of the, the stage between death and Jesus' return, um, that's for another time, but that is not the final judgment. So people you know uh, who have died have not, uh, receive their final judgment. That's going to happen in a future day, and it's me after the resurrection of the dead. Okay. Secondly, who will judge? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ will be the judge. That's why it's so important, isn't it, to come to Him? He is the judge. He will sit on His glorious throne, and He will separate people. But also, He'll come with angels. And elsewhere, uh, we're told actually that believers uh, will have a role to play in judgment. We're not told much about that, but we're told we'll have a role in the judgment. Uh, we can look at uh, Revelation 20, 1 Corinthians 6 for that. Uh, who will be judged? Uh, everyone will be judged. Everyone will be judged. So there is a great judgment. It's not that Christians don't get judged. Christians do get judged, but then they are saved from that judgment. We can come up uh, uh, onto, onto that a little bit later on. But we do get judged, but then we are saved from that judgment. Um, so it's not like no one cares how we live. It's not like Jesus died for our sins, therefore. No, it's, it's quite sobering. We will be judged. Everything we've done will be brought before the Lord on the final day. Um, we'll be reminded of what we've done. Now, wonderfully, be covered by the blood of Christ. But it is worth noting, isn't it, that um, when Jesus dies for our sins, it's not that our sins don't matter anymore. Um, God's anger has had to turn aside from our sin, to turn aside from us onto Christ, because our sin uh, is judged. And what's the basis of the judgment? Um, now, this is quite important. It's not really on, on this passage here, but it's worth saying that we are not all judged exactly the same. Uh, we are judged according to what we've received. So, firstly, uh, those who've not heard the gospel. Um, so we could go to Romans 1, uh, Romans 2 on this. And Romans 1 and 2 talk about we are culpable. Everyone is culpable in judgment because even though we maybe haven't heard the word of God, we haven't heard the gospel, or we might not even have heard the law, say, in the Ten Commandments. So you can think of um, tribes that have never been reached uh, or people just have never heard. Um, the Lord has made his standards uh, clear, uh, both in creation and in conscience, two C's, creation and conscience. So in creation, uh, the Bible talks about God's, God's qualities 
His divine qualities can be known from, by what is, what is uh, seen. The unseen God can be known by what is seen. Not enough to save us, but enough to know there is a God and there is a judgment. Also later on in Romans 2, God talks about the law of God being written on our hearts. And not perfectly, uh, but we do know instinctively what is right and what is wrong. And again, we know that because if you look at, well, we know it because the word of God says, but you can see it because if you look at all different cultures in the world, yes, different um, moral codes, but there's still huge similarities. There are huge similarities in the moral codes. The difference in different religions um, normally isn't the fundamental moral code. I mean, there, there, are, there are lots of differences, but there's so much agreement as well. What is completely different is how do you get right with God and how do you worship him? The morality is a sense in which uh, humanity knows about uh, morality. It's just that we suppress it. But, but, but there is that degree in which people who are facing the judgment have only, only have conscience and creation. Will we not be judged by the same as those, the second category, by those people who have heard the gospel? In other words, if you've heard the gospel and rejected it, the judgment will be greater. So Matthew 11, uh, Jesus talks about it being, um, it'll be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah on those days. Sodom and Gomorrah, just a picture of total wickedness in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying that they hadn't heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel, so you're in an even worse situation than them. Again, very humbling for us who come to church every week. Uh, do we know that um, every time we hear the gospel, we'll be held to even higher account because we've, we've heard more. And thirdly, there's another category, teachers. Uh, James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, brothers and sisters, because those who teach will be held uh, to a higher degree, a higher account. Can you see? So the more you know, the higher you'll be judged. The base of God's judgment is his revealed will, and the more you know, the more responsible you are to respond. And what's the base of salvation? Well, I think after we hear all that, we think, gosh, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. The basis of salvation is, of course, grace alone. It's worth thinking, isn't it? Even the word saved, I think very often we, we use the word saved. Are you saved? And, and we basically use that as synonymous to, are you a Christian? Save someone who's Christian. Now, that is true. They are synonymous. But, but why are we using this word saved? Obviously, the question is, saved from what? It's saved from the coming judgment. That's what we're talking about. We'll be saved. Uh, from the coming judgment. And how are we saved? Well, it's grace, isn't it? By grace alone. It's by grace you've been saved uh, through faith. We can't emphasise that enough. If, if we ever get worried at talking about judgment, we start to get scared. The sense which we are warned about God's judgment, we're to do something. But what do we do? Run to Christ. Run to Christ. That's what we must do. Uh, but we also got to take into account there are so many passages, we sort of read it already in Matthew 25, that talk about works on the final day. So what's going on there? What's going on there? Which really simply, I think it's the difference between um, uh, works earning your salvation and works evidencing your salvation. Okay, so if you've, you think you're not sure you'll be okay in the final day, run to Christ. That is the only place to go, run to Christ. Don't run to your works, because to run to your works is to run away from Christ. So it's about me. That's about Christ. I'm not sure you've done enough, and none of us have done enough. Run to Christ. Run to Christ daily. That's why we're taught by Jesus to pray, forgive us our sins daily, aren't we? And yet, on the last day, works uh, will, will play a certain role. 
Um, again, Jesus says, Matthew 12, uh, by your words you'll be justified. What's, what's going on there? Not enough time to go through the whole role of, I mean, this would be a whole thing of how do works relate to grace. But simply put, is that our works will, they'll evidence our faith as well. They will evidence. Why? Because God sanctifies those he saves. He does change us. Remember the passage in uh, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian has a spirit. Every saved person has a spirit. And therefore, fruit will be evidenced uh, in their lives. We think about the thief on the cross. Well, what works could he have done? Well, obviously, I guess none, really. He, he, he got converted as he died, you know. But, um, you know, if we've been a Christian our whole lives, those works that we have done, the power of the Spirit, will be seen for what they were. We won't be saved by them, but they'll be evidence of our salvation. Okay, I want you to just quit discussion now. Question, in your experience, do most people have positive or negative associations with judgment? Okay, positive or negative, and, and why? Have a quick chat about that. Okay, uh, let's, uh, don't have time to tell you about that. I just think, I, I guess I've got that question on mind. I thinking, we often think of judgment negatively, don't we? I mean, I, I, certainly Jesus come to judge. It's like, it's almost like the bad bit of the gospel. I guess you've got to have it in there somewhere, but I don't really like it. Just got the question there really, just get us thinking about why Jesus' judgment is actually a really good thing. I've just written down uh, six reasons um, at the back of your sheet um, why Jesus' judgment is a good thing. Let me just rattle through them and then time for any questions. So firstly, Jesus' judgment is good because it means there'll be a future without any wickedness. So Revelation uh, 11.15, the kingdom of this world where we live will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and his reign, he, he shall reign forever and ever. That's so good, isn't it? That one day when he comes back, he's going to judge evil, it's going to be done with and then there's never going to be any evil ever and ever again. Don't you long for that day? We should long for the final judgment. Uh, secondly, Jesus will be honoured by all. Again, uh, John 5, 22, 23. Jesus talking about the final judgment uh, when he returns. And if you're a believer, you love Jesus, don't you? You love him. He died for you. Don't you long for a day when he's honoured by all, when he's loved by all? Don't you, don't you long for a day when no one just says, oh, Jesus Christ. Doesn't that, doesn't that really offend you? I, I don't mean we should be sort of coach warriors going around just, you know, yelling people about it, but... Don't you long for a day where people just love the Lord? That's what's going to happen one day. Uh, thirdly, uh, C, I think it's on the handout. Humans matter in God's plan. What's remarkable, we haven't had much time to touch on this, um, but judgment is given to humanity. Now, obviously, in the first place, Christ. So, uh, Acts 17.31 um, talks about judgment through the man who God has appointed. Very much, his judgment is is as a man again we don't want to separate out too much but Jesus the man will come to judge the king will come to judge but then later on we see why it's because that judgment is given to humanity we thought a little bit about this in the ascension the fact that Jesus ascends as a man he returns as man the significance of humanity it is our role to rule and it's and it really says okay the fact there's going to be a judgment it's going to be a human judgment and in some sense we're going to be caught up in that uh, really tells us that to be a human being really matters to God. Fourthly, God cares how we live. Um, again, we've seen that a little bit in Matthew 25. He, he really cares. Um, everything will be judged. Again, Luke 12, verse 3, I think it is. talks about what's whispered in the inner chamber will be shouted on the rooftops. There'll be no secrets. Uh, God will really deal with every sin. Again, we think, okay, that's how we'll be judged. 
And it does really teach, okay, I don't want to sin because I'm just going to be judged, but I'm going to need to run to Christ because I have sinned. Uh, fifthly, evil will be punished. Um, every evil will be punished. And again, that's humility for all of us, isn't it? But also as we see the wider wickedness of the world, so, oh, won't it be great where actual real evil will not just be brushed under a carpet? It will be punished. That's not a bad thing to long for, for real evil to be punished. That will happen one day. But it also gives us great freedom when evil is committed towards us because there is going to be a judgment. Uh, again, Romans 12 quotes Deuteronomy 32. I'm not sure I put it on the handout. So Romans 12 and verse 19, have a look at that later. God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near and the doom rushes upon them. The context of that is we can forgive our enemies. We can entrust judgment to God. It means we don't have to live lives of bitterness because we haven't seen justice done. We can entrust it to the Lord. And finally, creation will be restored. When Jesus comes, not only will he morally restore everything, he will physically restore creation as well. So environmentalism, a really big topic for us um, just in life. It's talked about all the time, isn't it? And it's good to have a concern. But there's a sense in which ultimately someone's described environmental concern as only palliative care. We can't, we can't fix the environment ever. We can, we can treat it better or treat it worse. We can't ultimately fix it. But one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Again, I think the passage here talks about Romans. Talk about the cre- creation is groaning for the Lord Jesus Christ to return in judgment and to restore all things. Listen, I put a table discussion there for you. Why don't you just read that as you go out? Raise quite a lot of topics. I just wanted to anyone have any questions before we finish? Probably questions that are quite big questions, maybe can't answer them quickly, but if anyone had any immediate questions, happy to take a few. Okay, let's leave it there then. Um, let me pray and we'll go on to the main service. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for time together now. Uh, thank you that uh, you will send the Lord Jesus Christ back one day to return and to judge. We pray to you that the Lord Jesus' judgment is a good thing. It restore all things. It will rid uh, the world of evil. And Father, we pray that we would keep the Lord Jesus Christ's return firmly in our minds to be ready for his return. Please make us ready uh, by uh, coming to him now and constantly asking for forgiveness, seeking uh, grace. And we pray that we would uh, have Jesus' return firmly set in our minds, that we might long on the last day to say to him, look, look, Jesus, look what we've done for you. And uh, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share uh, your master's happiness. In Jesus' name, amen.